Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're going to be talking about the King Crimson song, Into the Frying Pan, from their 2000 album, The Construction of Light. So we've done a, quite a few episodes of Skipped on Shuffle so far. Uh, we're in our 30s now as far as as far as the amount of episodes we've done. And this is probably, of the batch that we've recorded so far, the most like obscure band that we've done. I feel like we've done a lot of legends. We've done you know Marvin Gaye and Madonna and The Police and massive, massive groups and artists that, that change the music landscape you know, very widely. And you can just say their name to pretty much anyone and they're going to know who they are. Whereas King Crimson, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> this, this will probably be the episode where someone's just like really... No- probably will point out something we maybe got wrong or, or <laughs> well that's not exactly correct <laughs> yeah king crimson I, I, is it's, yeah you, you you have a passion yeah <laughs> you you either you this is a band that you you either get and you love or you just think is noise or, yeah, there, or there, there is probably no casual king crimson listener that <laughs> I, I i'm i'm aware of I, I don't know if that's possible to just be like there, there's no way to just be like, I have the greatest hits. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the very idea of a King Crimson greatest hits makes no sense at all because there's so much going on here. There's so many layers. There's so many lineups. There's so much history. There's so much dynamic changes. I mean, it's there's there's a thrill there's a thrill line that 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 unites everything that King Crimson has ever done since its first album in the late 60s all the way up until you know today when they're still touring and still playing shows and whatever there's a thorough line that keeps it all together but in the end like there's so many changes in just like the approach to the music and how it all sounds and the the instrumentation like it's so crazy it's, but it, yeah it's hard to describe it- there's there's no way. There's so, no way. So at least for a few of the clips you'll listen to might give you some idea if you're not a, a, a listener of this band, if you're going to take take a giant leap of, <laughs> <laughs> of faith and listen to this episode. But yeah, I there's it's it's hard. I don't know. I, I even even as a fan of the band, I remember like getting into listening to the band and it's just it's. It's work. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely a lot of work. But and as much as uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying like that they're not you know uh, a, a, a very popular group and and they're kind of like underground and maybe not a lot of people have even heard of the name before. It can't be overstated how influential and important this band is, not just within the progressive rock community, but just in general. I mean, this is a band that's been around for decades and has influenced multiple, multiple, you know. Uh, major bands that we all know and love today and still touring and still touring and still and still packing in large theaters they're not playing you know they're not at a Madison Square Garden or anything but they're playing big places big legendary venues sold out you know and this is the type of band that touches on music music and musicianship in a certain way that's in it's timeless it's something that 
there, you know, 50 years from now, there will still be people listening to King Crimson and still being inspired and still finding things in it that we didn't notice before. It's the depth of this group is it, it can't be overstated. So, so like, like we said, you may not have ever heard this band. You know, you may be a casual music listener who, who, you know, started listening to Skipped on Shuffle because we covered Shakira. And now you're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> but we assure you, this is a very important group and with a long, long history. And we're going to try and encapsulate it the best we can with this song into the frying pan. But it's going to take a lot of work on your part if you're going to get into them after we're done. <laughs> King Crimson first gets together in 1968. The group formed from the ashes of a failed psychedelic pop group called Giles, Giles, and Fripp, which featured brothers Michael Giles and Peter Giles, as well as guitarist Robert Fripp. Giles, Giles, and Fripp released one record that had pretty much no success. Rather than continue on, the group disbanded, and Fripp constructed a new band featuring one of the Giles brothers, as well as Greg Lake on vocals and bass, and Ian McDonald on various woodwind instruments. A fifth member, Peter Sinfield, operated as the band's lyricist as well as controlling the band's stage lighting and other visual elements. So I'm, I just gave you a quick synopsis of who's in this band, but I, there, there are more lineup changes will, in this yeah, group. They will be gone shortly. <laughs> yeah, when we, we did the Red Hot Chili Peppers episode recently, and there's a lot of lineup changes that happen in that group too. That is nothing compared to how many lineup changes happen with King Crimson. The only member of the band that continuously stays in it from beginning to end is Robert Fripp, the guitar player. So I'm... If you're a King Crimson diehard and you're going to be disappointed that I'm going to skip over a lot of band members' names, I am sorry, but we just don't have the time to go through that all. Hopefully you understand. But we're going to give you a basic idea of what's happening with the group and, and, and how its history progresses. But we're definitely going to be skipping over a lot of stuff here to, to, in, just in the, in, the, in, the, in the focus of time. <laughs> so this new band is called King Crimson, and it released its first record entitled In the Court of the Crimson King in 1969. The album was quite the hit, which was surprising considering how uncommercial the music was. The tracks were very long with extended instrumental sections and jazz and chamber music inspired sounds. Check out a clip of the title track of that record, which is one of the band's signature songs. Unfortunately, the unexpected success of the record proved too much for some of the band members. After disagreements and infighting during the supporting tour, Fripp ended up the only musician left in the group with lyricist Peter Sinfield sticking around too. Fripp and Sinfield forged ahead by hiring studio musicians to play songs written by the two of them for studio recordings and live performances. 
The Giles brothers were actually two of these musicians in a strange sort of reunion early on. Fripp and Sinfield produced three records using this approach. In the Wake of Poseidon, Lizard, and Islands. The first two records both landed in 1970, with Islands landing in 1971. In the Wake of Poseidon sounded a lot like In the Court of the Crimson King, and Lizard was a confounding and difficult record with avant-garde jazz compositions that sometimes fail categorization. Check out the track Circus to hear what I mean. In the wake of Poseidon sold well and received some praise in the media, but Lizard took things a bit too far and hurt the band's success streak. Fripp and Sinfield continued on anyway, with the strategy of hiring and firing musicians as needed to produce the music and lyrics they put together themselves. The final King Crimson album to feature this approach was Islands, which was so plagued by infighting and band disagreements that Fripp fired everyone from the group, including Sinfield, in the middle of the promotional tour. After a brief hiatus, Fripp decided to put together a traditional band rather than hire various musicians for touring and recording. The new King Crimson consisted of Fripp on guitar, John Wetton on bass and vocals, Bill Bruford on drums, Jamie Muir on percussion, and David Cross on violin and keyboards. This quintet recorded the band's fifth record called Lark's Tongues in Aspic, which featured a wild new sound for the band. Check it out on the instrumental song Lark's Tongues in Aspic Part 2, which is easily one of the most significant and influential songs in the band's entire catalog. New Direction for the band reclaimed their former popularity after the previous three problematic records. The band very quickly went back into the studio to record another album with the same lineup, minus percussionist Muir, who left to become a monk. I can't make this stuff up. <laughs> he pulled the Leonard Cohen. <laughs> this sixth record was called Starless and Bible Black and continued on with a similar sound as the previous album with a heavier emphasis on vocals from John Wetton. Check it out on the album's opening track, The Great Deceiver. Unfortunately, King Crimson still couldn't keep all its members for long as violinist David Cross left shortly after the release of this record, leaving just a trio of Fripp, drummer Bill Bruford, and bassist vocalist John Wetton. This trio quickly recorded the band's seventh album, simply entitled Red. 
This record became one of the band's most popular and influential albums. Check out a clip of the instrumental title track here. With a trio of successful albums and a lineup that had remained relatively stable for over a year, things were looking up for the band in 1974. However, Fripp decided to disband King Crimson due to several reasons. The biggest reason was his growing disillusionment with the music industry, but he also felt, here we go, he also felt the world was going to end in 1981 and needed to prepare for it. Once again, (laughs) can't make this stuff up. Because of this, King Crimson had no activity from 1975 to 1980. During this time, Fripp worked with other musicians as a session player and sometimes even a live performer and prepared for the end of the world in 1981. By 1981, with the world not ending, unfortunately, Fripp decided to form a new band that would not be a King Crimson lineup. He assembled three musicians to join him. Adrian Ballou on vocals and guitar, Tony Levin on bass and backing vocals, and the returning Bill Bruford on drums. This band called itself Discipline. With two guitar players and no woodwind, string, or keyboard players, the band would sound much different from King Crimson. However, for reasons that aren't quite clear, the band decided to rename itself King Crimson and instead name their debut record Discipline. This record had an updated sound that incorporated new wave elements. Check out an example with the song Fela Hunjinjit. Surprisingly, this lineup of the band would last for two more records without any changes, 1982's Beat and 1984's Three of a Perfect Pair. Check out the title track from that third record here. Unfortunately, after the 1984 tour for Three of a Perfect Pair, Fripp dissolved the group again, this time because of his dissatisfaction with the working methods of the band. Vocalist Adrian Ballou wasn't even told about the split. He found out from reading a magazine reporting the news. That's got to be brutal. Like, that's like finding out your girlfriend broke up with you from a friend of yours. (laughs) Just coming home, your house is empty. What? What happened? That's weird. The second break for King Crimson lasted a whopping 10 years. In 1993, Fripp started putting together yet another incarnation of the band. This time, he joined together the quartet from the 80s with two additional players, 
drummer Pat Mastelotto, and bassist Trey Gunn. This meant the new version of King Crimson had two drummers, two guitarists, and two bassists. Fripp called this a double trio. What a maniac. <laughs> I mean, this I is, love him. This I is not him. a sextet. This is <laughs> a, double a double trio. trio. <laughs> this new lineup released one album called Thrak in 1995. Check out the sound of the band now on the song Dinosaur. After the tour to support this record, Fripp started becoming dissatisfied with the writing of the band. Again. He tried to break the band up for a third time, but instead the band did something unconventional. That's where our discussion starts today, with the beginning of what would become the band's 12th studio album, The Construction of Light, on which we find our song for today, Into the Frying Pan. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. After Thrack comes out and they do a big tour, the band gets back together and tries to write and things aren't going well. It's not working. So they try this really unconventional approach that I don't think I've ever heard of any other band doing ever. At least not at this level. At, at least, yeah. At yeah. least that I know of and, and a band with this kind of following. So what they do is they do four different projects. And basically, each of these projects is different band members working together as different bands. So there's projects one through four, different configurations of different members. So, you know, you might have Adrian Ballou, Robert Fripp, and Trey Gunn playing together. I, I don't know if that was actually yeah, one of the lineups. Yeah, yeah. Each lineup <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't actually remember who is, <laughs> who is in what project. But basically, you'd have three or four band members together playing in different configurations. Sometimes some band members played in two different projects or, or three sometimes they would bring or, other or, musicians into the project yeah. that weren't part so, of so, so yeah, there there's all this weird stuff going on to basically w with the sole purpose of trying to figure out how to write new material because a lot of King Crimson is writing material on the road, improvising on it live and just kind of working things out in that live setting so that you have something to work from by the time you get to the, the studio recording. And there's a band where sometimes they would even just take a live recording 
and throw it on the record as like this is this is that track we're not even gonna bother to replicate it in the studio it's just we played it live here this one time so that's gonna be the song that ends up on the album so it wasn't totally out of the ordinary for the band to try to do this thing but it's definitely a, a very weird approach to making making a record and an interesting way i guess to reinvigorate a band if you're kind of burned out by it and you're just like there's nothing good coming out of this maybe us, us let, let's let's do some group projects <laughs> <laughs> and then come and then come back as a class and see what we yeah see so, what we come up with so the whole point is that they're doing these projects and they're they're playing shows like they're not just like hanging out in the studio like they're performing shows like i saw one of the projects play here in new haven at uh, at toad's place and there was like 20 people there like no one knew what the hell was going on they, you know they 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 knew if you were a king crimson fan you knew that this project was something that was important to see because it was going to represent the the future of what this band was going to sound like and it was heavily improvisational like they didn't play any i mean i think they must have an idea of like what kind of like maybe a riff or maybe a tone or something but then they just sort of play that and just very jazz inspired improvisational time. And uh, I remember watching it and, and I think I even bought one of the project discs that they released afterwards and thinking to myself, like, this is just totally inaccessible to me. Like, it, and I was already a King Crimson fan. I was already somebody who, you know, appreciated the depth of what this group could do. And it was still too much for even, for even me. And uh, so, it, you know, they were doing this with the sole intention of being like, okay, we're going to do this. And then all six of us are going to come back together and figure, figure this out, figure this out and then make a new record. So unfortunately, that didn't happen. All six bands. And I know this is really surprising with the synopsis that we just gave while the members <laughs> leaving, but two members did not end up coming back. Tony Levin, the bass player, and Bill Bruford, the drummer. They both were committed to other things and decided they were going to move on and do other stuff. So that leaves just the four members left. Adrian Ballou on guitar and vocals. Robert Fripp on guitar, obviously. He has to be there or it's not King Crimson. Trey Gunn on bass and war guitar. And Pat Mastelato on drums. And, so, And for those of you who aren't familiar, a war guitar is like this touch guitar thing that you play with two hands. And I think there's like eight. 10 and 12 string configurations look up a clip on like youtube it's a crazy it's a thing weird to see yeah totally yeah. weird but it makes perfect sense that this crazy weird instrument would be in this crazy weird it's, it's one of those like your band is pretentious if <laughs> <laughs> if you know what a war guitar is you are a pretentious musician pretty much so the four of these guys get back together. They go to Adrian Ballou's basement to start recording some of this material that they had put together from these projects and brought in. Like, you know, oh, we had this cool idea. Let's bring that in and let's expand that into a full song and, and develop into this album that was going to be called The Construction of Light. Now, theoretically, the reason the band did this is because they were feeling uninspired. Robert Fripp was going to break up the band for the 40th millionth time. And they were like, we've got to do something different here. And so theoretically, the, the, the album that should come out should be something very exciting, something very different. But unfortunately, The Construction of Light, is, in my opinion, is probably one of the weaker King Crimson albums. But it does feature some very interesting ideas, and it does feature some things that you haven't heard before on previous King Crimson records. And this song that we're talking about today, Into the Frying Pan, kind of represents this band in a, in a weird transitionary period, but 
in into the frying pan represents something that where it actually does, at least in our opinion, it actually does come together. What's interesting about into the frying pan is that it's a representation of this system that they came up with, with the projects actually working, where it comes out with what we feel is a completed work that has a, you know, a, a beginning, a middle and an end, and it makes cohesive sense. And it's got, you know, decent lyrics and it's got like a good sound to it. It sounds like a King Crimson song, but a different type of King Crimson song from what we've heard previously, especially on the 1995 album Threk. So this is one of the few times that this actually came together, but the album as a whole, unfortunately, didn't really work out that way. But Into the Frying Pan has a little bit more of a special connotation. So let's talk more about that now. While Into the Frying Pan came out of the projects in various forms, different parts kind of coming in, the lyrics and some sense of the the structure of the song having a really definable verse chorus kind of sense, a lot of that comes from guitarist and vocalist Adrian Ballou, who had joined the band back in 1980, who since joining the band sings on I guess we would say probably about half of the tracks on every record more more or less give or take and so this is one of the few tracks on construction of light that has lyrics that I feel like it very much represents what blue brings to the band in terms of making them a little bit more accessible I think to listeners because I, I think he very much has a more commercial sense. And, and, and even so, I mean, it's, it's very kind of just weird and out there and boundary pushing. But I think he his presence in the band tries to remind everyone like there's there's going to be people out in the audience who are looking wanting to hear, you know, some hooks and some vocal lines that they can remember and that repeat and give you some sense of place because there's some King Crimson songs and even on Construction Light where you'll throw on like Fractured or Lark's Tongues in Aspect Part 4 and you will have no idea <laughs> where you are or where you're going. And Into the Frying Pan is very much a, a predictable kind of song in terms of like, okay, there's this part and there's this part. And then this repeats, and then there's this vocal line, and that vocal line comes back again. So there, there's this song is much more grounded in a predictable kind of verse-chorus format. Granted, there's like I don't know four guitar solos in the thing, but but but, the, I, but the, I, the song is nearly seven minutes long. Just, but, just. but I think it, I think it provides kind of a good introduction to a King Crimson, the kind of like King Crimson sound, where it's kind of a new, different King Crimson. But, you know, it's heavy. It's got that kind of dirty, crazy guitar going on, both from Fripp and Adrian Ballou. But also, you're like, it's it's like kind of a normal song, 
but it's not. And <laughs> yeah, I feel like Adrian Ballou is is has much more of a pop sensibility to him. Whether it's 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 the poppiness of his vocal lines, his lyrics, or just even like you're saying the very structure of a pop song, verse, chorus, repetition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas Fripp, I feel like throughout the entire history of the band has been. I don't I don't know where this is going. Yeah, he, <laughs> he just doesn't care about that at all. I mean, I, I in in my research, you know, prepping for this episode, I found out that some of the songs that they wrote early on in the in the in the band's history, Fripp would write, you know, a half of the song and it would be unfinished, but he would have a good half. And then John Wetton would write another half and they would literally just cram them together. Like there was no, you know, they weren't like sitting down together and thinking to myself like, Oh, like how can we incorporate your motifs, you know, for this thing into my thing? Nope. They would just literally just, (laughs) you start your song when I'm done with mine. And like that kind of just like wild abandon, like Fripp, Fripp is, is as a guitar player, as a musician, as a writer, he's very much just like, we don't have to stick to any conventions whatsoever. We can do whatever we want. A very avant-garde jazz kind of sensibility. And whereas Adrian Ballou comes in and is like, well, you know, like you were saying, like we need to have something that's going to make it so the audience doesn't leave, <laughs> you know, halfway through our set because they're just like, what? I don't even understand what's going on here. So I think that that, that like connection between between the pop sensibilities of Adrian Ballou and the and the craziness of Robert Fripp is what kind of makes King Crimson of this era really work. And Into the Frying Pan is kind of a good starting point for somebody who maybe, you know, w- has never heard of this before. They could start here and be like, okay, cool. Like, this is somewhat accessible to me. This is weird, but I get it. And then we could just be like, well, guess what? It gets weirder. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there there are some drawbacks to that format. Because there's two other songs on here. I think there's four songs total, technically, that have vocals. Some of the longer tracks, they break up into different parts. Um, but there are a lot of... there. There's a couple long instrumentals on here, but there are some other songs that have vocals on them. And I enjoy them, but they're just plain silly <laughs> songs. And I mean, lyrics have kind of a weird relationship, I think, in the King Crimson universe where well it started off just being like someone else writing yeah yeah it was like a fantasy novel brought to life in some ways and and adrian blue is kind of this silly quirky sort of singer character that he brings into the band and i feel like it reaches just kind of a ridiculous peak with this record i think into the frying pan is okay i think because they keep it kind of simple but when you listen to the other couple songs on here, which is Prozac Blues and The World's My Oyster Soup Kitchen Floor Wax Museum. That's the name of the song. It, it, that is the name <laughs> of the song. It, it, you, you, there's, there's, there's some part of this band that allows you to make, I think, certain leaps where you're just like, okay, I'll, I'll go with you on this journey. And I think just lyrically, it's almost just an immediate kind of like turn off. Yeah. For, for lack of any, any kind of better description. It's like I enjoy those songs and there's some part of me that's like, oh, this is kind of like silly and cool and whatever. But it it destroys some kind of credibility, I think, of this band to some extent. I don't know if I don't I don't know if I feel totally comfortable saying that, but I feel like you can't be really you can't really seriously be like, these lyrics are fine and this kind of like delivery of King Crimson I feel like comfortable with like it's very much more I think an Adrian Ballou solo thing that gets too intense 
in the dynamic of the band. Right. But it, we, it, it might speak to Robert Fripp just kind of being like this, this whole period of being like, I don't know what to do. Right. I we're lost. You know, I don't know where to go. And if Adrian Ballou is going to step in and be like, Hey, I want to do some really bizarre poppy weird stuff where I'm going to like change the tone of my voice down six octaves and talk about Prozac. Like, you know, that's, that's fine. Like, let's, let's do it. Like Robert Fripp being like, I don't want to break the band up again. So let's just give that a shot if that's how it's going to work. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying that the that the credibility goes down a little bit. I think that even even at Cream Crimson's most pretentious, you know, especially in their early days where they were literally making songs that were nothing but like wishes of wind and like some weird <laughs> xylophone noises or whatever. When they were doing that, they were committed. Like they were serious. Like they're like, we're not doing this just to fuck with you. We're doing this because we are committed to this sound. Whereas I feel like something like Prozac Blues is is more just like let's have fun, you know? And that's not really kind of like what aligns. And it, do, and it doesn't fit in well with some of the other material that's, right. that's on the album, especially with kind of just how dark and serious, like into the frying pan. Yeah. So with into the frying pan, we have the opposite of that. We have a, we have a, a, a dark kind of pessimistic, but still kind of sarcastic lyrical structure along with what you're saying, like a, a traditional pop sensibility structure, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar solo, six more guitar solos, you know, <laughs> all that. But it, it, it makes a cohesive amount of sense. But the lyrics are very simple. There's really not much going on here. So first off we have, I was just now thinking about the jaws of life. They chew you up, spit right, spit you right back into the frying pan. Basically, what he's saying is the jaws of life, which is what, you know, uh, uh, emergency operators use to get you out of things like car wrecks and plane crashes and stuff like that. What they're really doing is they're taking you out of a dire situation where you're trapped and could die and then putting you back into the world where... You know, you could you're get trapped, trapped and you could die. Yeah. So it's like he's he's making this like sarcastic but still serious kind of statement. Uh, and so it continues on. And how life unwinds around and around and up and down. You think you're fine, but then you're back in the frying pan, into the frying pan. And that's pretty much it. Like the rest of the lyrics for the song pretty much repeat one of these one of these few lines here. So it's very simple. Like there's not really much going on. And I think that that's good. Like that that's where Adrian Ballou needs to hang out is in that zone where it's like, I'm not saying too much here because if he starts saying too much, then you start going off into the world is my oyster soup kitchen, whatever <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> and I feel like the other thing that's interesting with this Crimson album is the other records, despite kind of using different instruments like the war guitar and doing these, always having like guitars with crazy effects or synths and stuff, there's a lot more programming and process stuff going on on this record that is new to kind of the the King Crimson universe. Like when you throw on this album, there's this weird, the, the drums are all kind of come like pounding in they they sound like digital drums because because they are right and there's that that whole sound going on and also adrian blue's vocals are kind of being processed in some way it's just kind of a weird uh, if you if you've listened to the other king crimson stuff and 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 know it fairly well and then put this on there there's a noticeable difference with how just technology i think is kind of treated as a as an effect in the the construction of light and also in the following record the power to believe and that's kind of a new thing that i think is odd for this band and i don't know if it has to do with less members so we feel like oh we've 
we know what a six piece sounded like where we had kind of all these all this extra sound and people playing percussion and you know we, we we went through the history and where we had you know jamie murr was in the band and we had a percussionist so i don't know if it's trying to get back to adding those little flourishes that now seem missing since you're back to like a four-piece band and knowing kind of what's possible based on the history of the band but it's 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 different If Into the Frying Pan is a song that is amidst a record that is maybe not, you know, the, the the peak of what King Crimson can do, and is also a song that's kind of an outlier on the rest of of that record, the that all comes together a little bit better on 2003's The Power to Believe, which is, as of yet, the last King Crimson album that we have. The band still tours, they still play shows all the time, and and, and are amazing. And they, they're seven piece now, and they have three drummers. It's it's nuts. It's, it's, it's quite, the, it's quite the, the show. And they play, uh, for the first time ever in their entire history, this, this new lineup plays songs from their entire catalog all the way back to 1969's The Court of the Crimson King and pretty much almost every album at least one cut from each album since then which is really interesting way of approaching things but the the difference is is that with The Power to Believe in 2003 as compared to The Construction of Light in 2000 is I feel like The Power to Believe ends up being like a more refined idea of what The Construction of Light should have been so Into the Frying Pan is a perfect song for somebody who doesn't have any idea what King Crimson is that can start there but then if you move on to The Power to Believe you'll probably find some things that you like in there too and then maybe you'll decide you want to start working backwards but I guess in the end, like if you really want to learn what King Crimson is about, the best way to do it is to start at the beginning and just work your way through. Into the Frying Pan to us is like a great starting point for somebody who has no idea what progressive rock really is. Because if you start off with your, you know, progressive rock with 21st century schizoid man, you might, you know, be like, I have no idea what's going on here. This, the middle of this song makes no sense to me. It's chaos. You know, there's no way they could duplicate this live, except they do. And like, you know, it, it might be a little too much. So this is maybe a, a better segue. But if you really want to get into King Crimson, if you like what you've heard as we played our clips here, then I would suggest just starting at the beginning and working your way through. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a slog, but it's probably the most gratifying way to do things. I think there's only two times I bought CDs without really knowing anything about the artist. One I talked about, which was Leonard Cohen, where I had, you know, heard 
couple tracks by you know co- cover versions and i was like there's something about this you know these lyrics and something about this guy i'm just gonna like go for it and king crimson was the other one i was on vacation with my family we were out in ohio going to cedar point which is this big amusement park roller coaster kind of thing and i remember we stopped at a best buy along the way i think they were kind of in our area at that point in time and we're walking around and this was back when these stores had cds music (laughs) and i remember browsing through the cds and my dad coming by for for some reason mentioning king crimson to me and he was just like, oh, there's there was this band and I think you might like them. And they were like really weird. And I listened to them like back in the day. And so I'm looking through the CDs and I see King Crimson and it's like the young person's guide to King Crimson live. And it's this two disc set where uh, one disc is the late the later incarnation of the band, basically like the Adrian Blue years from discipline through Thrack. And the other disc was the earlier incarnation of the band, basically from 69 to like 73, 74, uh, when they disbanded. And I bought it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was just like, okay, like my, you know, my dad recommends it. And I, the, the cover was kind of cool because I, if you ever look at the, the later releases, especially a lot of live stuff, they always have like the same artist or uh designer basically so it's got kind of just a, a cool look to it and i also just felt like oh the, the young person's guide like it's kind That's of perfect. tailored to yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm like, a young person to me. <laughs> and so yeah so i mean i don't know how old i was at the time had to be like i don't know 12 14 maybe somewhere around there maybe somewhere around that age and so I, I I picked it up and bought it and threw it in. And I distinctly remember listening to the synth opening of Dinosaur. And if, if, you, if well, we played a clip of it. But if you listen to the song, it's this like grand opening where Adrian Ballou plays it on guitar and he has this synthesizer processing it so it sounds like this like orchestra going on and i was just like i have no idea what's happening right now (laughs) because i had no idea that you could like even do that on a guitar so i'm just like are they playing with like an orchestra like what is this and just loving it and it was just cool listening to these songs having basically just no idea like what was going on and just working my way through that and getting familiar with those songs and then you know, eventually listening to everything and just falling in love with this band. That's just so weird and so unpredictable. And eventually we got to see them, Scott and I, and my dad and a friend of ours went to see them, um, on the power to believe tour Mm -hmm. in 2003. And we got there all early. Do you remember Robert Fripp walking by us? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we were like all way too nervous. We're like, oh my yeah, God. we're like, it's Robert Fripp, but we were like way too nervous to actually like do anything. So we're just like, I don't know, just, just don't make eye contact. <laughs> He's a weirdo. <laughs> he might break up the band. <laughs> and I, yeah, so we, we showed up early to the venue and we were like right in the front row in yeah. this super tiny club in Boston seeing them. Um, and that was just one of, I think, my favorite shows ever. Living Color opened for them. Right. And they yeah. were awesome. And King Crimson came out and we're literally like just a couple feet from Robert Fripp. Yeah. I remember at one point he was like strumming so fast. It was like he wasn't even moving. It was just, it was unreal. (laughs) 
and it's easily one of my favorite shows and I don't know. I, I just, I love this band. And, you know, we've, we mentioned the, the seven piece band with the the three drummers <laughs> and we went and we went to see that show and that was, you know, awesome. And it's just cool to have a band that you feels kind of, kind of like a secret relationship or something that you like, there's something cool about just kind of like, Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a King Crimson fan. And it's, <laughs> it's just kind of just like this thing that only I think like other King Crimson fans know where that's kind of a good like litmus test for somebody is like, do you listen to King Crimson? Like, are you in the know about like this awesome band that is complicated and does these like 10 minute jazz improvisations? They have, they have flute solos, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't know. It's just like this, this really cool thing to be a part of. And you, you just, I, I think you feel it in the shows and I think you feel it even even just throwing on the albums. You're like, I'm just in this little secret place that not a lot of people know about. And even if they know about it, I'm like one of the chosen few that can <laughs> that can like that can take it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost just like some kind of boot camp kind of thing it's like can you can you throw on a king crimson album make it from like beginning to end without losing your mind or (laughs) or turning it off and 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 i just i don't know i just kind of feel that way about this band where i'm just like they're just so cool and it's hard to convince someone else to like them there's just no yeah there's just no there's no way to do it so i'm just like it's cool that i can put this band on and I love it and it doesn't, you know, drive me to the brink of insanity. (laughs) (laughs) My dad is actually a huge King Crimson fan. And that's how I first heard about them. He uh, tried to get me into them when I was young, you know, like really young, like nine, 10 years old. And it was just too much for me. I couldn't, I couldn't focus on it. I couldn't handle it. Uh, But then in 1995, they toured, the band toured to to promote uh, Thrak. And my dad was like, I really want to see this show, you know, because he knows the history of, of King Crimson. So he's like, if you don't see them, then you never know. Like, that could be it. That could be the end of it. You know, they could just break up and take another 10 years off or if Robert Fripp could die or whatever, you know, anything could happen. The world could end in 1981. <laughs> and so he was like, we have to go see the show. And he really wanted to take me. He really wanted to, to show it to me. So we went and I tried to get into the band and I, I, you know, I liked certain songs off of Thrack. There's some pretty accessible stuff on there, including the track that we played earlier, Dinosaur, and the one that, that you mentioned. And there's some other songs on there that are 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 fairly accessible, easy to listen to, even for somebody who, you know, uh, doesn't have much of a grip on what progressive rock really is. Because it's an Adrian Ballou, King Crimson period, so you 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 get a a basic idea of what's going on. So. I, I was into it, but at the same time, this was a, this was a, a they were the six piece band, and they played for like three hours and like did a lot of older cuts that like I had no idea about. But it, I remember it being a very overwhelming experience for for a twelve year old kid to have. But I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was very interesting and fascinating. And I tried harder to get into it after that show. And I said to myself, I'm going to get more into this and figure out more about why this band exists and why people love them so much. And I did, and it took a long time. It took a number of years to really get into it. And I had to listen to a lot of stuff and kind of push aside a lot of stuff like the, like the album islands, which is like so pretentious and so ridiculous. You know, you, you, you really only listen, need to listen to it to like listen to it and then be like, I'll probably never listen to this again. Are those seagulls? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I make that joke, but I literally, I'm, 
pretty sure there's just seagulls up there. <laughs> so you, you, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work to really get through it all. But then once you find those little nuggets, you know, like like the song Starless, which is like one of the, my favorite songs ever, or or even like the entirety of the first record in the Court of the Crimson King, or Red. You know, there's so much stuff that's just so 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 good. And you got to find it and you got to work for it. And it's difficult to listen to. Like, you know, I will totally admit that it's not the type of music that you just put on and you're just like, I'm going to vacuum. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, this is intense music. It, that d- takes, it demands your attention. It demands your attention. Exactly. So, so yeah. So I remember going through all of this and coming out the other side and, and, you know, now firmly establishing myself. I own every King Crimson album, even Islands. And I, I, I and I like them all even islands <laughs> and, and, and enjoy listening to it and, and revisiting it and seeing them live and all that. But I remember not being able to do that. So I think that that gives me a, a little bit more understanding for like other people who maybe don't like them or, you know, they'll listen to into the frying pan on our suggestion and come away with me. Like <laughs> you guys have steered me, me right a lot of the time, but now I don't know where the hell you're taking me. And that's fine. You know, I, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think, the important thing with King Crimson is, is that you got to give them a shot. You got to listen to them because like I said at the top of the episode, this is a band that's influenced so many other bands. Uh, you know, everything from like Primus to Muse to uh, the British band Doves to like, you know, lots and lots of bands. They'll, they'll cite King Crimson. They'll sample King Crimson. They'll do all these things. And like even Kanye it sampled King Crimson for one of his tracks, uh, 21st Century Schizoid Man. So it's like you, 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 you have this group that's touched on in so many musical avenues and to, you can't just write them off. You have to say like, there's something about this group that makes them last decades. There's something about this group that makes people like Scott and Jason from, from Skipped on Shuffle talk about them passionately for 50 minutes. You know, there's something about this that you can't ignore and I implore you to give it a shot. But I remember being 12 years old and not getting it and being 12 years old and thinking to myself, I don't understand what this is. This just sounds like chaos to me. So if you come out of it that way as well, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but give it a shot. It, it's it's worth it because you may not know, you may be one of those people that you know gives it a shot and it's just like, wow, this is incredible. I've never heard anything like this before. And it's, it's so new and so fresh, even though a lot of it is 30 years old at this point. So I, I implore you to give it a shot if, if for nothing, it, even if you, even if you're going to fail, just give it a shot anyway, because you might come away with it with something really, really special. Thank you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.